you're a guest, uh, it is good to have you tonight. If you would be opening your Bibles to Ezekiel, the 34th chapter, we're going to begin that with that as an introduction, and then we will be studying 3 John tonight. <clears throat> it's been a good day. It's been a good series that we've been enjoying of shepherding. I want to encourage you to continue to pray about it. I want to urge you to continue to meditate as you study about what it is that God wants us to know about Him, what it is that He wants us to know about ourselves, and how we can even better help each other. Also, I want to ask you to be sure and be mindful this week of the El Salvador mission trip uh, that will begin this weekend. I want to encourage you to be praying for the souls there, that hearts will be open, and that we will be able to find the individuals that truly are looking for God at this time in their life and that we can plant seeds in a lot of other lives that perhaps others will later on open the door of their heart uh, to serve the great and true shepherd. Uh, Dennis Buchanan be leaving in the morning, Ronnie Travis and maybe some others will leave in the middle of the week and then uh, a large group will be leaving on Saturday. Now there is a goal to have a prayer being offered every hour that this mission trip takes place. There's a sign-up at the Information Central, and you can sign up for one hour, and it's not that we're asking you to pray an hour, but sometime, at the, preferably at the top of that hour, you'll say a prayer on behalf of this mission work and on behalf of the souls there. And we would hope that we will have enough individuals. Maybe you want to sign up for a particular hour for each day, uh, from Saturday to Saturday. Maybe you want to just sign up for one or two of those hours. If you work night shift, if you're up during the middle of the night on a regular basis, you could really be of a great benefit to others that otherwise are going to set their alarm clock and get up in the middle of the night and pray. Uh, but please take the chance, take the opportunity, take the blessing to look at that sign-up sheet and see at what times are available uh, that you could offer prayers we're thankful for Brian Wood and Jamie Harper and for their humility and the great encouragement that they were to us this morning in asking for prayers. I'm also thankful for David Minton and for uh, he, him being willing to serve as the shepherd of the day. And uh, he did a great job of taking care of a little lamb. He said that, that <clears throat> when he took him back this afternoon, uh, he, he wrapped him up in a blanket and laid him on the truck seat beside him and said he was sound asleep by the time he got, said he hated to wake him up. But uh, the little lamb did good, and we're thankful to Liggins for allowing us uh, to borrow the little lamb. Also, uh, mindful of, of Philip Jenkins and the great job that he did this week speaking at a youth minister's conference. It's a large gathering of youth ministers from uh, all over the state and, and even some surrounding states. And he did a tremendous job in being a part of that. And we're thankful for the work he did there and especially for the work that he does here. We want to remind our young people about one great work, and that's TAG, Tell Them About God. And that'll be taking place this week. And we want to encourage you to make that a priority uh, in the afternoons, the early afternoons of this week, as we'll strive to place an emphasis on the importance of sharing God's Word and being able to learn how to do a one-on-one uh, method of teaching, and we look forward to that. The good and the bad. That's what you get with leadership. Some are good leaders, and some are bad leaders. And there's a lot of people that make a lot of excuses in their life for things that they are, things that they've done, and they'll blame it on their leaders. And definitely leaders carry part of that 
burden. But it's interesting, and what we're going to study tonight is we're going to see that for thousands of years now, God has tried to tell us, you're always going to have some bad leaders around you. You need to look for the good leaders. We're thankful here that in the eldership, we have tremendous leaders. But listen, texts like this, we're not studying tonight because it's so important that that we have wicked leaders and, and we want good leaders, but we all need to be reminded of this our elders that we have today, and then those that will be elders in the future, those of you that are leading ministries, those of you that are leading as household leaders in your home, those of you that have great influence over others, the reality is you're either doing a good job leading or you're not. In Ezekiel, the 34th chapter that you studied most likely in Bible class this morning, and so we're simply using this as a reminder to set the stage of some things that probably were already discussed in your Bible class. In Ezekiel, the 34th chapter, we are reminded that there are bad shepherds. Look in verse 2, midway down verse 2, he says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? See that selfishness there? Let the sheep go hungry. Just take care of, oh, number one, the great leader here. Number three, you eat the fat and you clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. Now notice this in four, the weak, what should leaders do? They should strengthen them, but they haven't. You have healed, you, but nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. Remember 1 Peter 5, verse 3 and 4, that you don't lord over them, but you rule by an example. All the things that throughout so many passages, Luke the 15th chapter, what does a good shepherd do? They, They leave the 90 and 9 and they go after the one. Passage after passage that teaches on leadership, and especially on shepherding, he's saying, you're not doing it right. What's it doing? Well, it's this kind of leadership of the priests and the kings that led them all the way into exile. That's why they're in captivity. They're in captivity because of this kind of leadership. And now it's almost as if Ezekiel is shaking them by the shoulders and saying, are we ever going to have leaders that can help us get out of this? Or we're going to have leaders that can help us rebuild. We need godly leaders. So he says in five, still speaking about the negative ones, but it's so much of what we discussed this morning. So they were scattered. Remember, weary and scattered. They were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. They were supposed to be fed by the shepherds. Instead, because of the lack of leadership, they had become the meal for the predators. But then in the following paragraph, the Lord says, I'll be a good shepherd to you. And now we have a great example of shepherding. Let's pick up in verse 14. I will feed them in good pasture. You see, he's not going to abandon them and only feed himself. He says, I'm going to give them what they need. Look at verse 15. I'll feed my flock. And I'll make them lie down, says the Lord God. In other words, I'm going to give them enough that they can be content. Look at 16. Now this is, 16 is the positive side of all the negative out of verse 4. I will seek what was lost 
and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken, strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. What do we see here? We see a picture where God is reminding leaders that your task of leadership is about focusing on the Lord and then helping grow people that will focus on the Lord. When they're broken down, it's the leaders that have to help pick up the pieces of their life. When they're sick, it's the leaders that go. Remember James 5, and and they pray for them. And whenever one is running off, and even when one has been driven off, It's the leaders that are supposed to go to the one and say, look, I know you can't make it back alone. You're too discouraged. You're too overwhelmed with sin. How about if I put you on my shoulders and how about if I help get you back to where you need to be? Brethren, that's sacrificial leadership. But what does this look like in a lived out, for instance? Is there somewhere that we can look in the Bible and we can see good leadership and bad leadership in one presentation? Absolutely. Let's look at 3 John. 3 John is an amazing little book. The truth is we have three men described in this book that we really don't know much about these three men before or afterwards. There's some wondering if some of them have been referred to in in other passages of the Scriptures, but we're not really for sure about much of that. The most that we know about these men are right here. The first man is Gaius. Remember John, by this time, is an older apostle. By this time, he's referred to as the apostle of love. He loves God, he loves the truth, and he loves God's people. Those are three things that great leaders always do. And John, when he writes to Gaius, you can tell that that love for people, that love for God, and that love for the truth just spills out. Remember what we studied this morning? My cup overflows. John's cup was overflowing, and you could see that being spilled out about this fine and wonderful man, Gaius. Keep in mind, we do not know the positions that these three men held. Some have wondered, could it be that these are three elders? And could it be that there's a rift between elders here? It doesn't really matter for sure what position they held. We know this. There are three men with large influence in the life of the first century church. And we see that two are doing things very well and one's not doing so well. And so here we can learn a lot about what do we do when we have shepherds, the good and the bad. First verse, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. I'd like for you to note that in the first four verses, the word truth is mentioned four times. John, why do you love Gaius? I love him because of truth. He is my beloved, and one reason why he's my beloved is because of truth. What about truth? Look in verse 3. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Gaius, let me tell you why I love you. There have been probably missionaries that went out your way, and when they came back to give us report about their mission work, they told us about you being a man that truth dwells in your life. Not only that, just as you walk in truth. That's your behavior. That's your conduct. Guess that's why I love you deeply. And then John just has to say this because he's just spilling over with this. In verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 
Listen, I'm not trying to speak for our elders, but I know the hearts of our elders, and I believe all of our elders would say that same thing. They love, they love to hear of brothers and sisters in Christ walking in truth. What a beautiful description of someone's life. There's a family that walks in truth. There's a man that walks in truth. There's a young woman that walks in truth. There's a high school student that walks in truth. There's a 20-something that walks in truth. What a description of life. Hey, John, tell us, why do you like Gaius? Oh, I love him. He's my beloved. Every time you get reports about this man, it's about his life of truth. Well, what does a life of truth do? Oh, a life of truth is very active in the work of the Lord. And so in the following verses, we don't get a lot of details, but we get enough principle to realize that this guy is about an important work of supporting probably missionaries. Look what he does in verse 5. Beloved, still, of course, John writing to Gaius. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Paul's right there. Why do you love him? Because he's faithful in his ministry. What a beautiful description of Gaius. He lives in truth, he walks in truth, truth is in him, and he does it faithfully. And what is it that he does? Let's see in verse 6. Who have borne witness of your love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Now note that phrase. Gaius is sending missionaries forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, that you will do well. Because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. John, why do you love Gaius' ministry? i tell you why I love his ministry. Everything he does is for the namesake of God. It's all about God being first. And he's so hospitable. He takes in these missionaries at a time where ends would have probably not been common, and if they were, they would have cost something, he takes them into his house. And he lets them stay there, and he provides for their needs. And it's implied, even when he sends them off, he doesn't send them off empty-handed. He sends them off with further supplies that they'll need for down the road. Listen, here's a man that his ministry is all about giving glory to the name of the Lord. But it's all about receiving, see he's a leader, receiving others that are about the work of the Lord, helping supply their needs, and helping send them off where they'll be better equipped to continue to carry out the need. Now there's a transition verse here in verse 8. Notice what John says in 8. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. John knew that this letter would be read by others. It's somewhat like of a letter like at the end of Romans, you know, where Paul wrote about Phoebe, and he referred to the great work that she was conducting, the great ministry that she was conducting, and he urged anybody that read this letter to know that Paul was urging them to support her in her ministry. And so now John writes this short letter to say, listen, If anybody's reading this, let me tell you something. If you will support Gaius as he does his ministry of supporting others that that he's sending out, you can rest assured that you'll be investing in good fruit, fruit of the kingdom. Now, I said that that's like a transitional verse. 
The reason that's transitional is because we have Gaius where he's saying, follow this man, follow his lead. This man is all about exalting the name of the Lord and the work of the Lord because he loves the truth and he wants to get followers to follow truth. Now let me pause here for just a moment and then we'll get back to this transitional aspect of it. Leaders do not stand up and say, hey, I'm really a good leader, follow me. Leaders hold the truth up and say, I'm following the truth and I urge you to follow the truth also. That's why John loved Gaius. Gaius' life and his walk and even his ministry that he was doing was all about exalting the name of God and holding up and esteeming the truth. But then we have this transitional verse where he says, listen, if you'll support Gaius, you're going to be doing a good thing. But see, it's a transitional because there's another man named Diotrephes that is an extreme polar opposite example where he says, here's a guy that his ministry is not about truth. It's not about exalting the work of the Lord. It's not about holding up the name of the Lord. Well, let's read about this man in verse 9. As we read this, could I go ahead and point out to you that we don't know a lot about this man, but his name is kind of rare when we look at ancient writings. But where we do see his name, it has to do with with, uh, Zeus, and it usually is found in noble families. And so because of that, we can't help but wonder, was he a very wealthy man that gained his influence, not because he was so godly, Let me add something there. Gained his influence in the church. Not because he was so godly, but because maybe outside of the church and in the community, he may have had a place of esteem. He may have been of a noble family. He may have had a lot of money. And notice, for whatever reason, he had a place of authority. He didn't conduct himself in a godly manner. So this is how it's described in verse 9. I wrote to the church. Now, this is John saying, I wrote to the church. Now, of course, this letter we don't have a copy of, and it makes you wonder if Diotrephes didn't just throw it away when he got it. And, and he said, and I'm not talking about inspired writings, if that plants a seed of, oh, we're missing a book. We're not missing a book, okay? Verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence, underline that, capitalize that, we've got a real offset here. We have a man who loved what? The truth. And now we have a man who loves. He's not just wanting preeminence. He loves preeminence. Everybody look at me. Let me be in charge. Let me rule things. Well, to what extreme did he take this? He does not receive us. Who's the us? John's an apostle. What it sounds like is he's saying he literally would not receive the older Apostle John when he wanted to come through his congregation. Okay, and it gets worse, and, or just the bad continues. Look at verse 10. So he says, Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. In other words, John says, I'm hoping to come there in person. When I do, I'm going to talk to him face-to-face about his behavior. It's the Matthew 18 principle. He said, I'm going to go right to him, and we're going to have a talk about what he's done. But notice more description of him. And not content. So John is saying Diotrephes is not content with that. In other words, it wasn't just enough 
hey, we don't, we don't receive the Apostle John around here. We don't want a man like that in our congregation. That wasn't enough. Not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. Now, it may be the brethren may be like those Gaius received, and he, he tried to help support them in their work and continue to send them on mission works. That may be the very same brethren that Diotrephes says, I tell you what, we don't want any part of those people. Why? Well, they're putting an emphasis on truth. They hadn't created a social gospel. They hadn't created one that makes a man preeminent. And he didn't want any part in it. He even said, when those in his congregation said, well, we would like to receive John, or we would like to receive these men, the third group, he says, we're going to disfellowship you too. Those of you that want to accept them. He literally had three groups that he wouldn't fellowship in the congregation that he was leading. I won't fellowship the apostles. I won't fellowship those who are probably the brethren that were taking the truth. And anybody in this congregation that wants to fellowship them, we're not fellowshipping you anymore either. You know, you look at that and you scratch your head and you say, did that really happen? I think about very recently a situation where a congregation right now has one elder that demands his way. Got a lowdown of the details this past week. But they got a lot of problems. They've had a lot of problems. It's all because one elder, one elder believes that his rights and his opinions are preeminent. There's a lot of families that are in difficult situations because they have a husband and a father. <clears throat> that really thinks his life is preeminent above others. There's a lot of ministries around this, this nation where individuals really believe that they are, are God's gift to that ministry and everybody ought to know it and everybody ought to pat them on the back and everybody's got to know that they're the ones that started this ministry, they're the ones that make this ministry happen. Listen. One of the things that I must learn tonight is that the difference in good leadership and bad leadership is good leadership focuses everything upon God and growing those they lead toward God. Bad leadership focuses on themselves. Well, I just don't know if I have time to help those that are broken. I just don't know if I'm going to go after the one that's lost or not. I want to know why they're lost. Maybe they just need to not be lost anymore and maybe they need to prioritize the same way I do. And they Listen, good leadership doesn't sit around and make excuses why everybody ought to be as, as, as good as you. And I say that tongue in cheek. There's not anybody perfect. Good leadership realizes that their task is to exalt God in everything and help heal the brokenhearted, help bring back the lost, help bring back those that are broken and build their life back. It's all about not a dictatorship, but it's about a servanthood of leading by example because we truly care for those around us. And so with this in mind, we have another transitional verse. Look at verse 11. And, and this really is the convicting verse for all of us here tonight. Beloved, 
Well, let's pause. Let's ask this question before we read it. So what do we do? You've been injured by a bad leader in your life. So is that the excuse for you to be ungodly? Is that the excuse for you to claim for everything that's bad in your life? Well, it was just a bad leader. I had a bad dad. I had, I had bad elders. What, what's your excuse? Notice the answer here in 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Now, who's the beloved? Gaius. Imitate what's good, Gaius. You know Diotrephes is bad. What are we going to do with Diotrephes? Just don't follow him. That's what we're going to do with him. We're not going to follow him. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. See, all Diotrephes could see was himself. He was preeminent. Couldn't even find God in the mix. So here's the transition. In just one verse, with very little description, he says to Gaius, I can give you an example of a good man that you ought to imitate. Look at 12. Demetrius. Three testimonies. He has a good testimony from all. And now what are we back to? And from the truth itself, number two, and we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. Gaius, if you're still confused about what to do, Pick out a man like Demetrius. Everybody that knows him talks about the great man of God that he is. If you line the truth up beside this man's life, you're going to see a mirror of each. He lives the truth. And I'm writing as an apostle, and I'm telling you, I bear witness to that testimony also. So what's the message? What do you do with a bad leader? You don't follow them. What do you do with a good leader? You follow them. How do you know who is a good leader? They constantly esteem the truth. If you can be around a leader on a regular basis and the truth is not esteemed, you better have a flag waving this warning. There's something wrong with this picture. Leaders hold the truth up for themselves to follow. And when they ask people to follow them, they ask them to follow them as they follow the truth. And leaders are constantly that stepping stone. They're constantly helping people step up closer to God and to His truth. And so it's leaders that take the brokenhearted and try to heal them. And it's leaders that go to the sick and try to walk with them through that sickness and pray them through it. And it's, it's, they go after those who are lost and those that have been driven away. Why? Because every time they get around those people, they're constantly showing them the truth. Follow me as I follow God. This evening, Please recognize how blessed we are. We will never, ever, as a congregation, surpass our leadership. We must always have men who are spiritual minded. Men who have their heart set upon the truth. Because they cannot lead us at a place they've never been. And I want to challenge you in your homes. Parents, you can't lead your children to a place you've never been. 
Bible class teachers, you can't lead your class to a place you've never been. We truly must be people that honor God by esteeming His Word. And in that, call all men to follow Him tonight. That's the good and the bad of leadership. And every one of us, every one of us has a choice. Who will we imitate? Let's imitate Christ. If we can help you tonight in that decision, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ, or maybe you have already become a Christian and along the way, you've lost the way and you want to come back. There's not anybody here perfect, but we can all leave here forgiven. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.